Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we're moving through this wonderful Easter season. It's a time of a real contemplation, I think, when we're basking in the in the glow of the resurrection of Jesus and we're watching the first uh, Christians. As we read the Acts of the Apostles, it's such a wonderful text and it's such a ruminative time to read it. We bask in the light of the resurrection and we watch the first um, disciples do their works. You know, it's a cool thing that the Acts of the Apostles in Greek doesn't have the article. It's simply Acts of Apostles. And see, all of us are apostles, right? Apostelling means to send. We've all been sent by the Lord Jesus. So we're meant to see in their acts, our acts, what we ought to be doing. I think it's, it's really true um, in regard to the reading for this week, this passage from the Acts of the Apostles, which is our first reading for the weekend. Um, surprisingly instructive, I think, for our time in the life of the church. And see, it witnesses to something that is essential to Christianity, namely that we are a relentlessly public religion. Let me say it again. I think it's extremely important for our time. We are a relentlessly public religion. I remember vividly um, being in Rome back in 2007. I was at the North American College, and I used to go down whenever I could to hear Pope Benedict give his Wednesday audience speech. And he was talking once about St. Irenaeus, one of my heroes. And the Pope was speaking in French. And I remember he said, one thing he learned from Irenaeus was that Christianisme a public, it's a public religion. And uh, that is decisively important then and now. See, the piety of today's secular society dictates that religion is fundamentally a private matter something that appears, if you will, on the inside of one's life. And that's how modern society tolerates religion as a private matter. They think it's perfectly valid to cultivate this privatized religion the same way you might cultivate a hobby or a devotion to a a sports team, let's say. You know, to be sure, enthusiasts of a hobby or a baseball team might advertise their passion publicly. So they they could wear the colors of their team, you know, or they might announce by means of a bumper sticker that they'd rather be playing golf. You know how people will publicly announce their private uh, fascinations and interests. But everybody correctly sees this is just kind of cute and playful, right? It's hardly a serious demand that others take up their interests. So nobody that puts on their on their bumper sticker, you know, I'd rather be playing golf, really thinks, oh, everyone should be playing golf. They should all be as serious as I am in this uh, interest. Or no one that puts a a pennant of their baseball team outside their car window, you know, is really expecting, well, now the whole world should become uh, Dodgers fans or Cub fans or something, you know. So according to the secular lights, being a Christian is something like that. It's something like rooting for the Dodgers. It's, It's your thing, you, you might even horse around 
with imposing it on other people. But neither you nor they take your efforts very seriously. See what I mean? Now, listen to left-leaning people in the West today, and you'll hear an interpretation of religious liberty along these lines. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm for religious liberty. And that means, you know, I think people should be free to cultivate their private hobby of religion. But listen carefully. They don't think you should be free to bring it out in public or to seek actively to make it an integral part of public life. See, once religious people start doing that, a lot of leaders on the secular left become pretty uncomfortable. Look, if you doubt me, at the manner in which religious liberty claims are adjudicated in the courts today. And you'll see, yeah, private hobby, but public reality? Uh, I don't think so. What dominates the public uh, is the, what John Henry Newhouse, or John, uh, uh, Richard John Newhouse, sorry, I'm getting Newhouse and Newman mixed up. Richard John Newhouse would call the naked public square. The public square should be stripped of any religious uh, appeal or overtone. Now, contrast all this, contrast the sort of modern piety and sensibility with what is on display in our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles of Jesus have just been arrested because they've been told not to speak of Jesus publicly, but they've done so. I love, by the way, how it's put in the Acts, quote, filling Jerusalem with their teaching. See, that, that's not a private religion there. Oh, yeah, it's my little hobby. No, no, they were filling the city with their teaching. St. Peter, the leader of the apostles, could not have been clearer when he said, in answer to their accusation, we must obey God rather than men. Take that to the bank. I mean, watch that up and down the centuries. Apply it today. Whom do you obey? Do you obey the pieties of modern secularism? Or do you obey God? Peter has no ambiguity at all. Neither should we. Now, to go back to their story, this time, which is relatively early in the life of the church, just after Pentecost, they got off relatively easy. The Sanhedrin simply told them to desist, and then it let them go. But what did they do? Well, read the rest of the Acts of the Apostles. They followed Peter's recommendation. We also obey God rather than men, and they continued to fill Jerusalem with their teaching. And because they persisted there and elsewhere, they were arrested, they were imprisoned, they were in many cases tortured, and eventually every single one of them, with the exception of St. John, was put to death. That's what happened when they made their Christian faith very public. Now here's the point. Authentic Christianity is meant for the world and will always be a challenge to the corruption of the world. See, there's a thing. I know it's, it's our modern piety to say, no, it's a private thing that you cultivate in your own heart. But that's not biblical, everybody. Christianity is a movement. It's a family. It's a way 
that is meant not for itself. It's meant precisely for the world. Jesus said, you know, you don't put the light under a bushel basket, right? You put it up on a stand. The shining city on the hill, which is meant for everybody to see. Listen to how blunt St. Peter is, by the way, in our first reading. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus. Though you had killed him by hanging him on a tree. See, the point here is that the death of Jesus was judgment on the corruption and wickedness of the power structure of that time. And the resurrection was the vindication of the one that the world had rejected. Peter holds up the crucified Jesus. He reminds that you killed him by hanging him on a tree. He has this vivid image now before their minds. Because that crucifixion is a judgment on the corruption and evil of the world. But the God of our ancestors raised Jesus. Now, Paul and the other disciples would take the same critique to the Roman world as well. By calling Jesus Curios, Lord, they were mocking Caesar's claim to be the Curios of the world. And I've said that many times before, I think, to you, that that was a, a watchword of the time. Kaiser Curios, Caesar's the Lord. See how edgy they were being, how publicly challenging they were being in saying, no, no, not Caesar, but Jesus is the Curios. By calling their message an euangelion, glad tidings, they were challenging Caesar's message. Caesar claimed to have the euangelion. I've got the good news that I've won power and that I'm bringing Roman order to the world. No, no, say the first Christians, Jesus has the true euangelion. Even wielding the cross as their symbol, Paul says, I preach one thing, Christ and him crucified. They were undermining, taunting Roman authority because the cross was the means by which the Roman authority maintained itself. Public, clear, challenging. Now, mind you, if you have the impression I'm calling for religious war against the state, you couldn't be more mistaken. Whenever the church has used the weapons of the world against the world, or sought to seize the levers of power in order to impose itself on society, bad things have followed. I am not advocating any kind of Constantinianism. You know the view that, you know, coming from Constantine, that we should seize control of the, of the powers of the state and so on, make ourselves the official religion, persecute other religions. None of that. See, because the trouble is, when the advocates of the Prince of Peace use violent means to establish his kingship, they undermine themselves. They undermine their own message. We fight, rather, with the weapons of the Spirit. We fight through word and argument, evangelical proclamation, witness, legal reform, in extreme cases, nonviolent resistance and martyrdom. Those are all the weapons of the Spirit. I remember years ago, my thesis director in Paris, the great... Uh, Michel Corbin, said the sole imperialism permitted to Christians is the imperialism of the martyrs. Isn't that great? Are we Constantinian in our imperialism? No. 
We are imperial. I mean, we're, we're announcing a message meant for the whole world, but it's the imperialism of the martyrs that alone is allowed to us. Listen now. God is the creator of all things and the Lord of the entire human race. He formed a people, Israel, so that that people might in time lure all the nations of the world to honor him. This comes through, by the way, in our second reading. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything in the universe cry out to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. Everybody, this is not a privatized religion that's being talked about. This is not some little hobby that a few people cultivate. This is a faith and a kingdom meant for everybody on the earth. This is the declaration of a king sitting on a throne, and everybody is meant to come under his aegis. And so here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. We have to find, and and Christians have not always been good at this, we have to find the delicate balance to be bold, assertive, public, ambitious in our faith without ever being violent, manipulative, or imposing. We have to resist when the world turns dark and demonic. We have to press to see that the gospel be preached and instantiated everywhere. But we can never do it in a way that undermines the gospel itself. So a public religion, public, as Pope Benedict said, public but nonviolent, imperial, but with the imperialism only of the martyrs. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.